0: Good to see you all this morning. I am Joel, I'm the Connect Pastor. Welcome, online campus, welcome. So glad you guys are here. Uh, one last Halloween business that we gotta take care of is if you've still got candy left over, I know, I know that it, we got Christmas songs playing on the radio, but you have to eat that candy. It's gotta be gobbled up like by the end of the day. All right? I had a Twizzler this week that tasted like chocolate. And that is terrible. And if you got any, like, thin mints or, like, like junior mints, like, hanging out in that bowl, it's going to contaminate everything. Get it eaten. All right? We're in Revelation, and Revelation is here not to scare us, but to prepare us, right? Revelation is not a book that will tell us everything that we know, need to know to predict the future, but it is definitely there so that we can know who is going to win the future, amen? Yeah, that, that's what Revelation is here. Speaking of winning, did you get one of those army men? Uh, online campus, if you go find like a, a uh, action figure or something like that. Uh, I'm personally a G.I. Joe man myself growing up. Uh, I play with them, but anybody play with these army men growing up? Yeah, you probably didn't lose many of your own battles, did you? Because you set them all up. You, you know, did you ever shoot like a, uh, had a BB gun at these things? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, these these represent strength and might and and winning. Did you remember that so many of Jesus' disciples thought that he had come as a military conqueror? Like that he was going to overthrow the Romans and like relieve the grief of the oppressed Israelites? And he certainly conquered, but he didn't do it the way they thought. Remember the mom uh, of some of the disciples, they came to him and she's like, hey, Jesus, um, if you could just get uh, my sons to one sit on your right and one to sit at your left when you come into your kingdom, do you think that she had any idea that, that he was, uh, he, his, his glorification was going to be on the cross? No, and even Peter, you know, Jesus' best friend, he still kind of maybe had in the back of his head, Jesus is, Jesus is going to win the way that I think he's going to win, right? Because on the night that Jesus was crucified. They came and arrested him, and Peter pulls out a sword. He's like, oh, "Yeah, it's, t- it's go time. Let's let's lop some heads off." And he chops the guy's ear off. You remember this? Jesus says, nah, "Nah, we're not doing it like that, Peter. We're not doing it that way." He picks up the guy's ear. This this guy who's going to participate in one of the most unjust things that's ever happened in the whole history of the world, and Jesus heals him. That that's what that's why I'm going to ask you to hold on to these military men. Um, as we talk about Revelation 6 through 11, right? I, I don't mean to set it down or put it in your pocket. I'm asking you to hold it, okay? Um, hold it. Remember the power here. Remember that not always does God work the way um, that we want. Sometimes his thinking, the way the gospel, is backwards the way that we think and operate because that idea that God's going to do things the way that we want, it's not that foreign even to us today. Um, we think that God should bless us if we're faithful to him, and we think that advancing Jesus' kingdom mean, means taking over our society, and I think Revelation is going to challenge us. This vision that John gets about the future, it's going to challenge us and our way of thinking about that. So, do you guys, uh, you guys read much? What kind of genre of literature do you guys like reading? I couldn't hear that. Do you guys, do you guys like science fiction? You, anybody, I read a book, uh, the Hail Mary Project. That was really good this summer. Do you guys, how many of you read Harry Potter? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We saw so many, like, Harry Potters and stuff like that um, this year. Um, how many of you like reading history? Yeah, if I have to read, yeah, history's kind of fun sometimes. How, how many of your favorite form of book is an audiobook? <laughs> or Or how many of you, your favorite genre of book, if I... So i'm gonna to have to read my favorite genre of book is the one that's been adapted into a movie <laughs> we thrived on that as kids you know having to put a turn in book reports it's like is, did they make a movie about this i don't care how old it is you know i just want to watch the movie well revelation is a type of literature just like some of those other ones revelation is apocalyptic literature in the first century jewish audience would have been very familiar with this type of literature they would have read the book of daniel what they would have known about Ezekiel. Um, some of this apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature, it's, it's a type of writing that uses symbols and visions to communicate heavenly realities despite earthly circumstances. It gives us this greater perspective on all of history um, and, and what, where the ultimate outcomes are going to be. It's a form of literature, as you might imagine, is pretty popular with people who are down and out in their society, people who are oppressed, uh, people who can really use that, that encouragement that, hey, things might be bad for you right now, but let me give you the full view of history. It's, it's where, even before we jump into chapter 6 through 11, that uh, you and I can maybe take some, take some heart in, uh, in what Revelation has to say to us. So. Um, and something I think is really unique to Jesus, probably because he holds all truth in his hand, is just that, man, Jesus has this way of giving hope and encouragement and fulfillment to us in realistic ways. Jesus can give us all of that stuff without it being like a kids' cartoon or a sitcom problem that's wrapped up in thirty minutes. Jesus can do this because Jesus and Jesus alone can encourage and and us, while being realistic about the hardships of the world around us, about what you're presently going through. Um, yeah, man. When I'm studying through Revelation, the thing that Jesus told his disciples in John 16 keeps ringing in my head when he said, I've told you these things so that you can have peace. In <laughs> the very next sentence he says, in this world you will have trouble. Wait, I thought you just promised me that I was going to have peace if I listened to you. Yeah, well peace and trouble in this world, they can actually coexist. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is such a big part of Revelation here. Man, when... Um, when we left off last week we saw that uh there was this scroll and it had seven seals and everyone was like freaking out like no one can open up these seven wax seals on the scroll and then we see that this roar we hear a roaring lion and we see this slain lamb and this slain lamb begins to open up the seals and you're like wow what is this This is weird stuff. And I'm thinking if I'm John and I'm like witnessing this this revealing that God has given me that I'm gonna have to like pass on, like, that's kind of like nightmare fuel. Uh, Like thinking, like, what would a slain lamb look like walking around? We've all seen dead animals before. What would a slain lamb look like walking around? Oh, and did you read there that in chapter six that this slain lamb has seven horns and seven eyes? Yeah, it might look something like this. What? Or this? Or if you really want to get freaked out, that? Yeah. Sorry, PG-13 warning here. Uh, but this is, this is Revelation. This is some of the stuff that we're working with. Um, now, seven, obviously, is a symbolic number of completeness and perfection. It's used all, all throughout the Bible, and especially in Revelation. But here's the picture that the Bible project draws of what might look like for John to have all this stuff being revealed in front of him. And that really, there's some good stuff from uh from the bible project and so instead of me like giving you this outline of of chapters 6 through 11 before we you know take some things out of it i want to let you um let them give you this video just like six minutes of the breakdown of these chapters
1: us to the next section of the book, the three cycles of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, and each cycle depicts God's kingdom and justice coming here on earth as in heaven. Now, some people think that the three sets of seven divine judgments represent a literal, linear sequence of events that either happened in the past, or could be happening now, or are yet to happen in the future when Jesus returns. But notice how John has woven all the sevens together. So the final seven bowls come out of the seventh trumpet and the seventh seal. And the seven trumpets emerge from the seventh seal. They're like nesting dolls. Each seventh contains the next seven. Also notice how each of the series of seven culminates in the final judgment and they have matching conclusions. So it's more likely that John is using each set of seven to depict the same period of time between Jesus's resurrection and future return from three different perspectives. So, the slain lamb begins to open the scroll's first four seals and John sees four horsemen. It is an image from the book of Zechariah chapter 1 and they symbolize times of war, conquest, famine and death. In other words, a tragically average day in human history. Then the fifth seal depicts the murdered Christian martyrs before God's heavenly throne. And the cry of their innocent blood rises up before God like smoke from the altar of incense. And they are told to rest because more Christians are yet to die. We are not told why, but we are told that it won't last forever The sixth seal is God's ultimate response to their cry. He brings the great day of the Lord that was described in Isaiah and Joel and the people of the earth cry out, Who is able to stand? And then all of a sudden, John pauses the action with an intermission to answer that question. John sees an angel with a signet ring coming to place a mark of protection on God's servants who are enduring all this hardship. And he hears the number of those who are sealed, 144,000. It is a military census, like the one in the book of Numbers chapter 1. There are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, pay attention. The number of this army is what John heard, just like he heard about the conquering Lion of Judah. But in both cases, what he then turned and saw was the surprising fulfillment of those military images in Jesus, the slain lamb. So when he sees this messianic army of God's kingdom, it is made up of people from all nations fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. It is this multi-ethnic army of the Lamb who can stand before God because they have been redeemed by the Lamb's blood. And now they are called to conquer not by killing their enemies but by suffering and bearing witness just like the Lamb. After this, the seventh and final seal is broken, but before the scroll is opened, the seven warning trumpets emerge and fire is taken from the incense altar. It symbolizes the cry of the martyrs and it is cast onto the earth, bringing the day of the Lord to its completion. Now, with the seven trumpets, John backs up and he retells the story again, this time with images from the Exodus story. So the first five trumpet blasts replay the plague sent upon Egypt, and then the sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came from the first four seals. But then John tells us that despite all these plagues, the nations did not repent, just like Pharaoh did not in the Exodus story. So it seems that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. Then John pauses the action again with another intermission. An angel brings the unsealed scroll that was opened by the lamb. And just like Ezekiel, John is told to eat the scroll and then proclaim its message to the nations. Finally, the lamb scroll is open and now we will discover how God's kingdom will come here on earth. The scroll's content is spelled out in two symbolic visions. First, John sees God's temple and the martyrs by the altar, and he's told to measure and set them apart. It's an image of protection taken from Zechariah chapter 2. But then the outer courts in the city are excluded and they get trampled down by the nations. Now some think that this refers literally to a destruction of Jerusalem that happened in the past or will happen in the future. But more likely John's following the tradition of Jesus and the apostles who all used the new temple as a symbol for God's new covenant people. In that case this is an image about how Jesus' followers may suffer persecution by the nations but this external defeat cannot take away their victory through the Lamb. This idea gets expanded in the scroll's second vision. God appoints two witnesses as prophetic representatives to the nations. And once again, some people think this refers literally to two prophets who will appear one day in the future. But John calls them lampstands, which is one of his clear symbols for the churches. So this vision is more likely about the prophetic role of Jesus' followers, who are to take up the mantle of Moses and Elijah and call idolatrous nations and rulers to turn back to the one true God. But then, all of a sudden, a horrible beast appears. Let the reader remember Daniel chapter 7, and the beast conquers the witnesses and kills them. But then, God brings them back to life and vindicates the witnesses before their persecutors. And the end result is that many among the nations finally do repent and give glory to the Creator God in the day of the Lord. Now, stop. Think about the story so far. God's warning judgments through the seals and through the trumpets did not generate repentance among the nations. Just like the Exodus plagues only hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the Lamb, he conquered his enemies by loving them, dying for them. And now the message of the Lamb's scroll reveals the mission of his army, the church. God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitating the loving sacrifice of the Lamb, not killing their enemies, but dying for them. It is God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that will bring the nations to repentance. And this surprising claim is the message of the open scroll that John has placed at the exact center of the entire book. After this, the last trumpet sounds and the nations are shaken as God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. So now we know how the church will bear witness to the nations and inherit the new creation, but who was that terrible beast that waged war on God's people? And how will the whole story turn out? John will tell us in the second half of the book of the Revelation. Oh my goodness, that is a lot.
0: (laughs) And on top of it, there, we got these like seals and scrolls. We got uh, a beast appearing out of somewhere. We have horsemen, and you're like, what in the world is all of this? Well, that's apocalyptic literature. <laughs> that, that that is that is the type of thing that we see. We see symbolism, and um, you got the four horsemen. Like you you wonder like what what do all those mean? Well, you can you can actually decipher a lot of that when you think about the colors that were associated with those four horses. If you're looking in Revelation chapter 6, go ahead and open that up. Get another browser open here. Figure out, like, as we're scrolling through, all right, maybe I haven't read this in a while, but here's here's where some of the stuff connects. Uh, You'll see the four horsemen. You got a white horse. This is actually one that doesn't bring any kind of destruction. It just brings a conqueror. It it could be a human bringing, conquering that then leads to the war and death and famine. It could also be Jesus, because white is associated with Jesus. But then the second horse, red, war, I think that's pretty obvious. We got um, some blood represented there. You got black, um, death, or sorry, no, the black actually represents, um, he's carrying scales, and it says that he brings scarcity and famine, which you and I associate scales. Where do you see those? Well, on what buildings and stuff like that? Or what monuments do you see uh, somebody holding scales? Yeah, a courthouse. Yeah, because we associate with justice. But a first century person would associate scales with the marketplace because that's how they weighed their goods and, and, uh, and payment in kind. So, so they'd see that and they, they'd recognize, all right, well, this is, this is bringing this, uh, this scarcity of items and goods. And, and then finally, the last horse being pale green like the color of a corpse and a grave following behind him. But those are the first four seals. You see the fifth seal, you see it's the cry, the cries of the martyred, um, those who have been mistreated and killed. And some of those people who are listening to John's revelation, they are thinking in their mind of things they've seen or heard about of maybe people that they were even associated with. Those Christians who have suffered for their faith. And the question becomes then, all right, why and when is this going to end? Like when are, we, are things actually going to be righted? If, if people are suffering and dying for, for your cause, God, then, then when are things going to be right? And, and God has to remind them that, hey, I've got my own timing, and, uh, and it's not your timing. And you should, you should be assured. I want to remind you. That your faith is not in vain, that your sacrifice will not be forgotten, and that your faith is not misplaced. And so when the sixth seal is opened, we see that, uh, that there's an earthquake and the sun is blackened. This reminds people, if you're, if you're reading it after you just finished up the entire Old Testament, this reminds people of the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. And then look what happens in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 15. Who is running and hiding? I'll read it. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Why are they hiding? What, what, why, why are they afraid on this great and terrible day of the Lord? Let me remind you of another story. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are used to strolling through the evening in the garden with God. One day, instead of doing that, they hide from him and are ashamed because they have just recognized that they are naked. What changed in that day? Yeah, sin, the fall. Like, we we fear judgment because we know we are unholy people coming before a holy God, and so what's the difference? What makes us holy? Those who have been been covered in the blood of the Lamb. And that's what you'll see as you keep skimming through chapter 6 and 7, there's this theme throughout the whole Bible that you're actually familiar with, and it's really prominent here in Revelation. See if you can finish this sentence with me. The last shall be, yeah, and the first will be, yeah, you know the theme of reversal. Now, you gotta ask yourself, do you believe it? I mean, like, do you act like you believe it? Because if you do, then how does that change the role that you see yourself in your family? How how does that affect the way that you react and treat people in the workplace and as you're going about your daily business? What if you're the person who's on the bottom of the rung um, at work? Well, for one, that tells you, look, my role in in this workplace does not determine my salvation. And also, I can serve with dignity knowing that at the end of days, the last will be first. And the first will be last and also if you are not on the bottom <laughs> of society if you're not one who is looked down upon by by the rest of the world and probably i'm looking around here i don't see too many of us who are in that low of position man we got to remember that we need to humble ourselves because there will be a great and terrible day of the lord where we are all in the same playing field that your are titled at work that your position in your community that man the only thing that will matter will be whether or not you are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Because there will be a day where the first shall be last and the last will be first. We need to act as if we are going to be subject to God's judgment. We've got to be reminded of that. In chapter 7, we see something about the 144,000. Have you ever been told that only 144,000 people will be saved? Have you ever heard like... Like different uh, faiths and stuff like that. Preach that it's it's likely like somehow tied to Revelation chapter seven. But look at what Revelation chapter seven is actually saying. First of all, the 144,000, 12,000 from 12 tribes, 144,000. We know for a fact whether this is a literal or symbolic uh, number. We know for a fact that uh, that is that is definitely a number that symbolizes perfection, completeness. We see. Um, 12 tribes of Israel. We see 12 apostles of Jesus, even though there's plenty of other hangers on there. We see uh, 12 gates around the new Jerusalem. We see 12 stars in the crown later on um, in Revelation on the crown that Christ's bride wears. 12 is definitely a symbolic number, but then there's another problem here. uh, If we think that this is just a literal number of only those who are going to be saved, because John points out, He hears that number and that it's only the tribes of Israel. But then what happens? In in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of the Lamb, they were wearing the white robes, white robes covered by the blood of the Lamb. They were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then one of the elders asks John, who's just a witness, standing there witnessing this, this, ro- this revealing. Um, he says, these, th- these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And John's like, sir, you know. And he said, they are, these are the ones who cr- came out, come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their white robes. They've washed them in the blood of the lamb and they, they're white. That's, that is a beautiful picture, an imagery of what it's going to be like those who have gone through trouble, specifically here in the first century, those who are actually physically um, in trouble, those who have paid the ultimate human sacrifice for their faith and what, what their ultimate reward is going to be. Finally, in Revelation 10, we see this mighty angel, this angel who's got like a face that is bright like the sun and legs that are fiery pillars. And this is a mighty angel he, uh, we see he's holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand and he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. Again, apocalyptic literature is so weird. This, this roaring lion character... Um, Giant like speaks and thunder answers him and get this when the seven thunders spoke john's like just sitting here witnessing this whole thing and uh, he starts to like write it down and i was about to write it down but i heard a voice from heaven say seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down aren't you frustrated by that you're like okay wait we got seven seals uh seven scrolls yeah we got uh we got seven bowls later on we got the seven trumpets and we also have seven thunders but we don't have any idea what they're set that what that says why 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 make us this mystery don't you hate it when someone tells you oh i got something really important to share with you i'll tell you later what don't tell me just tell me later don't make me wait and suffer have you ever had a boss say, uh, I, I need to see you later on, and not tell you what it's about? Oh, man. That gets your mind going, doesn't it? What happens when your boss schedules a meeting, tells you to be there, and doesn't tell you what it's about? What's the first thing that pops into your head? I'm in yeah, I'm in trouble. What, have, what did I do wrong? Like you, start, you start scrolling through all that stuff. Then, then if, if you're lucky enough to figure out what you, did, what you did or didn't do wrong, and you're like, okay... I think I'm all right there. Then, what's the next thought? You're like, okay, well, what does he want to talk to me about? What, what should I have been doing? What projects should I, that should be completed or, or that I should be working on? I think there's a lot of value in this mystery. I think Revelation is also here, whatever your interpretations all the all this stuff is, is, Revelation is here to help us in our urgency and our earnestness. That's what mystery does. Um... Paul tells the Christians in Rome, don't be slothful, don't be lazy in your zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. Or with even more mystique, Jesus opens his ministry up with simple five words, I think it's five, six, seven, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. How deliciously intriguing, isn't it? You still got your army men? You holding on to them? We got a battle coming up here soon. <laughs> you remember Ezekiel? Is anybody here in the summer, anybody catch up online, Ezekiel, throughout the summer? I am so glad we took that dare to do the book of Ezekiel. Shelly said it best this week. She said, uh, that now that I've studied Ezekiel, I see it everywhere." And here we are in Revelation 10. John is told, just like Ezekiel was told, to eat this little scroll. It probably represents all this uh, message that, that John has been, that's been revealed to John, just like Ezekiel had the prophetic message of taking the words of God. That's all a prophet does is take the words of God and pass it on, right? And what happens? when you take the words of God and, and, you, and, you, and you eat them. What does it taste like? <laughs> it's, it's sweet like honey. That, that's, the sweet, that's the way we see it described in Ezekiel and here again in John. It tastes sweet like honey. And then, then when the words begin to digest and we have to change and we have to tell other people God's message, which then causes them to be in an awkward situation, either they change or they're, they're against it, what happens then? It turns sour in our stomach. This is the, this is the way prophecy works and, and so either you're going to have uh, people that just ignore you at best. Well, no, that's not true because we see people repent. We see that in Jonah's ministry in Nineveh the after he finally stops running. Or we see uh, people ignore you and then all the way to people being hostile to you sharing God's message and they kill you. At least that's What happens here in Revelation 11? It says, And I I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. And they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they, they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying, and they have to, the power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, you could interpret these two witnesses as two like futuristic prophets or prophets that have come and maybe will come back, or more likely look at um, all the references there to God's people. Um, you see, I had to take a note here from the... Uh, the little thing that was in my Bible, but the two olive trees and the two lampstands, that comes from Zechariah's prophecy. But you guys can think probably of an Old Testament prophet who prayed and fire came down from heaven. Yeah, as Elijah, Elijah also was uh, able to pray um, when he was prophesying against uh, Israel and their evil kings, and, and the heavens stopped raining, and there was a drought, which then leads to a famine, and people got mad at him for that. You also are probably familiar enough with the Old Testament to remember the plagues in Egypt and a certain uh, leader of the Israelites there uh, tapping the Nile with his, his stick and it turns to blood. Right? Who is that? Moses. Yeah, so we, we see um, people who have been following God uh, listed all throughout that. That's probably who the witnesses represent, God's people. They have a prophetic role. And, uh, and yet uh, these people, um, we see this idea of reversal come back up this idea of the first shall be last and last shall be first because these witnesses seem like all powerful at first and then boom all of a sudden well in the next verse is a beast comes up from the abyss and kills them and what do the people do the people of the earth are happy about this they don't have to listen to those witnesses and god's message anymore they 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 treat it as such a celebration um that they start exchanging gifts and presents like it's christmas and then, double reversal, boom! The prophets are brought back to life. They're breathed the breath of life back, just as a call back to Genesis chapter two. And then they're called up into heaven, and they're all—all all the people of the earth like witness all of this. In Revelation eleven, it says, "At this very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven." And you see that, man, even the beast in John's other writings, like 1 John and stuff like that, he calls this enemy of Christ the Antichrist, but even he can't stop the fulfillment of God's message to to the uh, two prophets, to to God's people. Like The ultimate goal of God getting the glory that he deserves is accomplished. But it's accomplished in a backwards way, isn't it? It's it's not through the fire bringing down and... uh, and, and all that stuff, it's, it's not through the people being amazed at what God, it's through the sacrifice and then the example of God's power bringing them back to life that finally brings repentance. The seventh angel sounded the trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. In his ministry, Jesus said, a time is coming in the future and has now come, the present, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's this absurdity of the gospel, this this backwards reversal nature that sometimes to win, you need to lose. As Jesus put it, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So for one last time, look at your army men. These symbols of power, and I'm going to protect myself. And Think about what you want to accomplish with your life, the legacy that you want to leave. Think about the dreams you got for God and the things you hope God accomplishes through you? Do you expect society to make allowances for what God wants to do for you? Do, do you? do you expect people to treat you better because you're a nice guy because you claim Jesus? Or, like our ancient brethren, can you have no concept that, that people will make allowances for that? That that society will just swallow willingly the messages of God? Do you dream of having all your friends and family? believing the same thing that you believe? And does it hurt you when all these things that you ask for in his name, they don't come around in the time that you want? Yeah. Yeah, that hurts a lot. Is is that a reason to give up hope? No, Revelation gives us a much bigger and broader picture and so much more hope than that. Is it a reason to sink back, backwards in our faith? No, absolutely not. This is the exact opposite of what Revelation calls us to, what Jesus has already said, that, that you need to take heart in this world, there will be trouble. And so that's why no matter how much we bemoan the fall of this world, no matter whether or not the person we want gets elected, no matter whether or not the school board goes down the drain, whether or not we see rumors of the end times and we believe them, no matter what, our reaction is not going to be like Peter and we draw our sword. Our reaction is going to be to prophesy, to be bold, and then ultimately to follow the example of our slain lamb. We we will lay down ultimately ourselves because that is the example that Jesus gave us. This is not passivity or apathy. This is a willingness to suffer and to sacrifice because if that's God's ultimate plan, then he will will bring it to fruition. So I'm going to ask you, as we're closing out now and and, and throughout the invitation and communion, um, that at some point you lay down your army men. Man, don't, don't even take it with you. Just say, I am giving up my rights because Jesus, your ways are higher than my ways. You can leave it in the basket on the way out or you can just leave it at your seat and I'll pick them up later. But yeah, we want to say that, hey, look, I'm going to not take into account what I think is best and what I want, man, I'm going to follow your ways, God, because your ways are higher than my ways. That I want to follow the example of my, my Heavenly Father who, who sent His Son to conquer the world for sure, but the way He does it is such a backwards reversal way that, that I am still wrapping my mind around. We're going to lay down our army men. Jesus, we, uh, we pray before you. We, we thank you that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of confusion, all of this world and this life that you've given us, that we can take heart. We don't even have to understand everything. We don't have to know everything. We, we don't even have to make sense of all the pain. But, God, that you're ultimately in control. God, may we take heart in that. May that make us more bold to claim you stronger and to to follow you more deeply and and realize that ultimately that means that we will be sacrificing some things and that uh, that's all right because you have already won the ultimate victory and that you are the one who's going to deserve all the glory and you will get it. The kingdom of this earth has become the kingdom of the Lord. God, we pray that. We ask that and we thank you for sending Jesus and it's in his name we pray.